0: Baptist Church. It is so good to be with you today. Thank you for the invitation to be with you. The musicians this morning got the assignment. You read the text ahead of time and blew the roof off of this place. Beautiful, powerful music. It is so special for me to be here, having been raised as a child in this church. I came to faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior at seven years old in this congregation because I attended a Good Friday service with my parents and turned to my wise mother and said, what happens to Jesus next after hearing the story of his crucifixion? And she, in her wisdom, said, you're going to have to wait until Sunday to find out. I remember spending that weekend waiting, 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 and then on Easter Sunday in the Second Baptist Congregation, hearing the proclamation, the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. And my spirit soared, and I began to understand what God and Christ had done for me. The children in this church are your treasure, and I see the the investment you've made over these That was 45 years ago and many more being a part of birthing faith in children. Then I came as fresh out of seminary on the staff of this congregation 25 years ago. You helped me get married and yes, we just celebrated our silver anniversary and they said it wouldn't last. (laughs) I am filled with gratitude to be among mentors in the faith. It is a blessing to be with you today. And I'm wondering how many of you like me are here in the Christian faith, in worship today, because somebody put a hole in the roof for you. Would you join me in prayer? Oh God, our God, as we approach this text, let the written word and the spoken word become again your living word by the power of your Holy Spirit given to us through Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So only Mark's gospel includes this particular story. Maybe it's because other gospelists didn't want to encourage this kind of behavior from these four friends, right? Making messes everywhere. But really, I think it's because Mark is most likely the earliest gospel, and so he's got a big job to do. He is writing down the first recollection of Jesus' words and deeds, his life, death, and resurrection. And Mark is dealing with the church that has gotten tired of waiting around for Jesus to show back up again. They were expecting him any moment. And, you know, if you know Jesus' coming right away, then you can deal with people who get on your nerves. But if Jesus delays and tarries, you're saying, how much longer, Lord? They were probably starting to feel pretty stuck, not, sureing, not sure how to go forward when Jesus hadn't come back physically as quickly as they expected him to. And so Mark is putting all of Jesus's life into words, into recorded text that they can, they can share throughout the church. And he tells this story, the only one to tell this story, that Jesus is at home. Did you catch that in the passage? Jesus is at home. Now, this goes against what I've been taught about Jesus. To me, I've always heard the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, right? But here, right here in the Bible, Mark chapter 2, it says Jesus is at home. His house. Now, what exactly this means, we're not sure. Of course, the letter to the Ephesians tells us that Jesus' dwelling place, his house is the church, right? We are his home. We invite him into our hearts. And when we gather two or three more together, the Gospel of Matthew says he is with us. So maybe this is a spiritual reference, but it looks like it's just Jesus' house. Jesus is at home, and there's a problem at Jesus' house. It's crowded. It's crowded. Everybody wants some of Jesus' time or attention, kind of like a mama or a daddy with toddlers, right? Never a moment to themselves. Everybody wants a little bit of Jesus' attention, and so it's making it difficult for people who really need to get to him to get to him. Well, we are in our 10th year in Odessa, Texas. I bring you greetings from the Connection Christian Church Disciples of Christ, where my husband and I are co-pastors there. It's a church that is a sister in spirit to yours. You know, these denominational labels don't mean much anymore and they're going to mean less and less. It's about the spirit that we share in Christ. That particular congregation, 10 years ago, right before we came, was in a downtown location and they had a sanctuary that seated 400 people. But there were about 45 when we came to be their pastors. People thought we were crazy leaving a large church in Kansas City, Missouri, to go to this place that we felt called and pastor these 45 people sitting in this sanctuary made for 400. And I tell you, though you would say that sanctuary wasn't crowded, there were plenty of empty chairs, it was crowded. Jesus' house was crowded. It was crowded with memories that new people that walked in would not share. It was crowded with attitudes about how you had to dress to fit in there. It was crowded with questions about who exactly would be welcome and were we clear about who would be fully welcome into the life of our church. It was crowded with more plaques than people, for one thing. It was crowded And we began to ask the question, like these four friends surely were asking, what are we going to do to make an access road for people to be able to get to Jesus in this church? How are we going to be able to get people to the master of the house, Jesus Christ? These friends, these four friends had a buddy that needed Jesus. They didn't know probably if Jesus could do something for him, but they hoped that he could, and they were, they were sure he was the only hope, and so they loaded up their friend and carried him. What a tender, powerful picture of friendship, male friendship. How tender that these these guys got this This buddy on their back and somehow got him to Jesus. And you know the feeling when you think that hope is almost there and they get there and the house is too crowded. So they adopt this attitude, it seems, of whatever it takes, we're going to get our buddy to Jesus. Now let me ask you, when's the last time you brought a friend to Jesus? When's the last time you thought, this friend needs to meet my Jesus? And decided to do whatever it took to get your friend to Jesus, to get him access to the Lord. So these friends, they go up on the roof and they're figuring out how to cut through this roof to get their buddy to Jesus. This is what our church began to do. We began to ask, well, if our church is too forbidden. It's too churchy. It's too difficult to get people in here. We're too stuck in our ways. What's it going to take to get people to Jesus? What are we going to need to do to get people to Jesus? And so we, we started discovering that something you probably already know, that 30% of the adults in the United States of America have no religious shaping at all in their lives. They weren't raised something and they left it. They weren't raised anything. 30% of American adults, those are the nuns you've been hearing about. N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. <laughs> then you got the duns, the people who were raised at some and were in church, but they're finished with it. It's just been too disappointing or too painful. And then now after the pandemic, you know, they've created a new demographic category called the Alms. These are the people that think they maybe used to go to church, but they really don't remember. You know, 2020 was a hard year. The nuns, the duns, the alms, we started studying who these people were in our community. And even though we we're in West Texas, just like y'all, there were so many people that had no access or connection to Jesus Christ. So in our congregation, we began, instead of expecting people to come to church, we opened a big hole in our church and we began bringing church to people, showing up in gas stations and grocery stores with things like Ashes to Go or offers to pray. We began hosting a Sunday night event in a restaurant. We began taking Bible study to the wine shop and to the coffee bar and and just trying to bring Jesus to people if it was too hard to get them in to us. One of the people that we began ministering to was after the mass shooting in our community in 2019. We were a part of a coalition, our congregation, of figuring out how to address the ongoing mental health trauma that happens to a community when something like that occurs, like our friends in Maine now know all too well. We were setting up meetings throughout the community, and we had representatives from our church present trying to facilitate this. And one of the people that was present, a community leader, began to get to know some folks from our church. She said, I am an atheist, so I'm not ever going to your church, but it's nice to meet you. She was very upfront and clear about it. After we'd gotten to know her through several meetings, one time she asked me, she said, are you sure all these people go to your church? I said, yes, I can vouch for them. And she said, but they're so nice. How can they be Christians? That was the reputation that Christians had in her world. One Sunday morning, I looked up, and there she was in the pews with her partner. And I greeted her afterwards, and she said, the roof didn't fall in. And I said, because we'd already made a big hole in it for you. The friend said, whatever it takes, I'm going to get my buddy to Jesus. Second Baptist Church, you've been doing whatever it takes for a long time. I would not have known as a woman called to ministry that there was a place for me in the church of Jesus Christ if it were not for the witness of this congregation. Second Baptist Church, you've been doing this for a long time making sure people know that there's a place for them when others have discarded them or walled them out. This is the work you've been called to for a long time. So the friends, they get up on that roof, and they lower their buddy through the roof, smack dab in front of Jesus' face. Now, a lot of people think that faith is the Sistine Chapel. Beautiful, perfect, calm, and tranquil. But the truth of the gospel in this story is that faith is not the Sistine Chapel ceiling. It's a hole in the roof. Whoever said that being church was easy? Whoever said that being the followers of Christ would be tidy? Church, you know all too well, is sometimes hard and messy. Yet it is worth it to do whatever it takes to get our friends to Jesus, to keep our eyes on the main purpose of who we are and why we're here. Because the world needs a Savior. And guess what? We know who that is, and we can get you there. Right in front of Jesus, these brave friends plop their buddy down. and. His reaction is priceless, and yet not at all what I would have expected. How about you? What is it that Jesus says when he sees this guy? He says, child, your sins are forgiven. What? Jesus, why do you always have to take it up a notch? Just heal the man and send him on his way. Child, your sins are forgiven. Gospel scholars tell us that Mark is doing something really interesting here. Mark has turned this healing story into a controversy story. And it becomes a conflict because the religious leaders start to grumble. Blasphemy. Who does this guy think he is? Why does it always have to be the religious leaders? I mean, give the clergy a break. Right? <laughs> and now we're in the middle of a religious conflict. And Mark seems to be saying to a church that is surely enduring the stress of figuring out how to be followers of Jesus in a world that has no room for that. And Mark is surely saying something to the early church about how conflict sometimes precedes healing and about how courage sometimes will create conflict. But it's all necessary to get to the good stuff to the healing work of God in Jesus Christ. The religious leaders grumble among each other, call him a blasphemer, because you see the situation is that in Jesus' day and time, the religious leaders had the market, they had the corner on the market on forgiveness. It was their job to tell you if you were forgiven or not, if you've done enough to earn the forgiveness. Not unlike the day we celebrate today, Reformation Sunday, when a certain Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Church in Germany, which said, in essence, if I may sum up 95 things in one sentence, Christians are called to bear the cross of Christ and not to buy salvation through indulgences. Indulgences were being sold to build the great cathedrals of Europe in exchange for your salvation, your forgiveness. And so it was another case of religious leaders having the control over whether or not you were okay with God. And Jesus, in Mark's gospel, is going against that control. He's shaking it up. He's saying... I'm making God's forgiveness and love accessible to all who will call upon me. We have a similar problem in our day and time, some 500 years after the Reformation of the conflict that comes when religious leaders start to take too much control. In our American context, the situation is that some religious leaders have taken control of the Bible. Not too long ago, First Baptist Dallas put out its new marketing campaign. I don't mean to name names, but even if I didn't say, you'd know who it was. The new marketing campaign is their pastor. Nice, glamour shot of him. And the branding is, you're this close to biblical truth. This close. Think about that for a minute. What the meaning is, is that if you'll just go to his church and let him explain it to you, you'll have biblical truth. But as long as you're out there trying to discern your way and interpret the Bible based on your conscience and community, you're going to be just this, this little bit off. This control of what the Bible means, handing it to you in a package that tells you the, the biblical meaning of modern-day issues... And what you should think about them is just the same thing we find in Mark's gospel all over again. Trying to keep it just to a few select powerful people instead of making it accessible, the scriptures, to all people. Second Baptist Church, this is nothing new to you. You've been working on this for years. Being a voice for being able to interpret Scripture for yourself in the light of a community that holds you accountable and challenges you and encourages you. It's a voice and a witness the world needs today more than ever. So Jesus is up against these religious leaders that are upset that he is making forgiveness accessible, that he's taking it out of the hands of those that gain from having control of it. Jesus says, So you will know that I have the authority to let this man be forgiven. I'll heal him. As if it is an afterthought. I mean, it's very Baptist to be concerned with the salvation of souls. But come on, Jesus, couldn't you have first healed the man and then dealt with his spirituality? It reminds me of a story that Reynolds Price, the great author, would tell. Reynolds Price had spinal tumors, cancer, And he tells about a dream that he had one night when Jesus poured water over where his tumors were in his spine. And Jesus told him, Son, you are forgiven. And Price said in the dream, he turned and looked at Jesus and said, But am I healed? (laughs) Being right with God is certainly our foremost importance in our lives, but it's also nice to be well. We want the quality of life for all people. Jesus turns the man and says, so they'll know that you're right with God, that you're forgiven, so that they'll know that I have the authority to bring forth new life out of stuck situations. Go ahead, and stand up. Take up your mat. Follow me. Rise. Well, church, you know what we think when we hear rise. We think it's Easter Sunday. It's resurrection time. Is resurrection time because there's been conflict and there's been courage. And now Jesus says, rise, to get up, to take off your mat, to go tell others what he has done for you. And you notice with the reaction of the crowd all around, the people standing there that see this man become well and whole and forgiven and a part of the community again, what does it say that they are? It says they are what? Amazed. The Greek word is existemi, which means they stand outside of themselves. Think about that for a moment. Isn't that what good church is? We come in all full of ourselves, all full of our worries and our perspectives on things. And then we see God moving and at work in the world and suddenly we're standing outside of ourselves. We see a bigger picture. We see what's possible with God and Jesus Christ. We see that people are still being raised up to walk in a new life and even the church itself. And we go, wow, that must not be that much about me. That must be about God. For our congregation Our doing whatever it takes to bring people to Jesus in Odessa meant that we eventually, because in part of the witness of this congregation having relocated 20 years ago, we eventually bought a dialysis and medical office building and relocated, renovated, renamed, repurposed, resurrected, and became new again. Now, 80% of our congregation never knew the old place and old church. And we see new people coming to life. This coming Sunday, we'll be baptizing a young woman who could not find a church to baptize her in our community because she has a same-sex partner. But she loves Jesus we will baptize her and raise her into new life because do you know what? We're tearing a hole in that roof to give access to who Jesus is to everybody. The people, when they see this man stand up and begin to come to a new life, a a resurrected life again, that says they are amazed, they stand outside of themselves. And he gets up. And he goes to tell others about what God and Jesus Christ has done for him. So this is my prayer for you, Second Baptist Church, that you will remember who you are. Remember who you are. You are the church that tears holes in the roof for people to have access to Jesus. You are the church that raises people up to new life. You are the church that takes courage, and if conflict happens, so be it, so that people, all people, can have access to the scriptures, to salvation, to Jesus himself. And in my prayer for you, you are the church where Jesus feels perfectly at home. Thanks be to God. I invite you, church, to consider your relationship with God in Christ. Have you said yes to following him as your Lord and Savior? Have you maybe been a Christian, but you need a church home where you know you are welcomed to grow and learn, to serve and find your identity in Jesus? We invite you to come forward today or to contact the church office or a deacon of the church this week so that we can become family to you. Come, would you, as we sing our hymn together.